Amazing love. Amazing love. Amazing. Amazing grace and amazing love. Our Savior is amazing. He is worthy. Worthy is the Lamb that was slain. Father, we bless your name. We praise you in Christ, your Son. We declare that he is Lord. He is master of all he surveys. He surveys everything. We are his sheep. We are your sheep, Father. We are your people, your children, your called out. We are a ragtag group of folk, weak and sinful and messed up, but you love us. You've chosen us before the foundation of the world that we might live for your glory, that we might be blameless in your sight. You sent Jesus to make it so, and you sent your spirit to draw us to Jesus and to work that work of transformation in our lives and hearts. Oh, that we would be more like Christ. Oh, that you would do that holy work day by day in transforming us so that we stink. We want to smell up this world with the, pre- the aroma of Jesus. Help us, Lord. Help us. Forgive us, Lord, for where we fail. Oh, God, do a work of repentance and new faith in us. Renew us, O oh Lord, even today. Oh, thank you. Thank you to have you have been present with us throughout this service. And now, Lord, I, I ask that you would be present in the preaching of your word. Grant your servant the strength he needs to preach. Your word, your son, your glory, your kingdom. And may we all hear from you in whatever way we need to hear. May we hear from you. May your word not return to you void, but may it accomplish all that you intend. Reprove, rebuke, exhort. Grant me great patience and careful instruction that your people might hear a clear sound from your word. Use your unworthy servant. He needs you. He loves you. He depends on you. In Jesus' name, amen. John chapter 12, once again, verses 1 through 11. Six days before the Passover, Jesus therefore came to Bethany where Lazarus was whom Jesus had raised from the dead. So they gave a dinner for him there. Martha served, and Lazarus was one of those reclining with him at table. Mary therefore took a pound of expensive ointment made from pure nard and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. The house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But Judas Iscariot, one of his disciples, he he who was about to betray him, said... Why was this ointment not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? He said this not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. And having charge of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. John just tells it like it is. Jesus said, leave her alone so that she may keep it for the day of my burial. For for the poor you always have with you but you do not always have me. 
When the large crowd of the Jews learned that Jesus was there, they came, not only on account of him, but also to see Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. So the chief priests made plans to put Lazarus to death as well, because on account of him, many of the Jews were going away and believing on Jesus. <laughs> that is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. Hmm. Thank you. Praise team. That was God used you profoundly. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. You stink. You ever have someone tell you that? Now, they can mean two things by that statement. They can mean two things. One, you are funky. You have really bad B.O. Or they could be talking about your attitude or actions in a bad light. You stink because of your attitude. Your attitude stinks, right? <laughs> At that moment, they are not your fan. <laughs> you, know, you know what I mean? Now, I got to, forgive me, but I'm old school. There was a Looney Tunes cartoon. I don't know if it's... <laughs> Pepe Le Pew. Anybody remember Pepe? Come on, am I the only one? Thank you, Pepe Le Pew. Now, Pepe, you remember Pepe? Pepe was this skunk who, who was, a, this was in France, supposed to be in France, and Pepe was French. And, and Pepe fell in love with a black cat that he thought was a skunk, okay? And Pepe, man, that boy could pitch some woo. He knew how to lay the rap on. Pepe, flowers and candy. He was wooing her. And he couldn't understand why she kept running away from him. Pepe was in love, man. He wanted her. And she was like, no. And so Pepe, but Pepe realized something that was strange. Every time he came to town, humans would go, let poo, and they'd run away. Let poo. And so Pepe said, Okay, this is getting on my nerves. Why, why do they keep saying Le Pew? So he got a dictionary out. Put his reading glasses on, he's reading. And he's reading what Pew means. And he starts reading, he goes, No. Sacre bleu. I am not the Pew. No. I cannot be a pew. No, 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 no. This is not true. I am not the pew. Close the book. Goes back to town. The people do it again. Le pew! Le pew! The cat runs away. And then Pepe stands there and it dawns on him. He realizes it. It hits him like a ton of bricks. He stands there and says, it is true. I am a pew. I stink. This is what I am. <laughs> Followers of Jesus, at one time in this country, biblical values and biblical character, even biblical doctrine, were accepted. We were not a Christian nation, never were, but biblical ideas were accepted. And, and biblical character, a God-fearing man, 
These were good qualities and people appreciated them to some extent, to a large extent. But those values and doctrines are now seen as the enemy. They stink. We saw this, this is Reformation Sunday, we saw this even back in the Reformation. When the aroma of the gospel was rediscovered by men like Martin Luther and, and, and Germany and, and John Calvin in Geneva. People of that day were, were hungry. They largely, uh, the gentry was largely poor and, and, and many people were starving physically and spiritually. They, 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 they didn't have the, the Bible in their own language and many were just hungry for God and hungry for hope. And they were coming to the Roman Catholic Church of that day and they did not find help. This is history now. I'm not picking on anybody. This is history. But when, the, but when the aroma of the gospel sounded forth from Wittenberg Castle and Wittenberg, Germany, and began to spread, not just there, but even to places like Africa and around the world, and finally making it later when the, this nation was founded, making its way this direction and throughout the Caribbean, the, the gospel, it smelled up the joint. It was not perfectly propagated, if you know what I mean. But it was real. It was revival. And it caused a revolution as people smelled the aroma of Jesus truly as the good news of the gospel that we are saved by faith alone, through grace alone, in Christ alone, to the glory of God alone, by the scriptures alone. You see, that washed over the world actually. And as John told us, the Counter-Reformation was a rejection of that aroma. The aroma of the true biblical Jesus is rank. The true biblical Jesus. It can be rank to people. And it still is today. And that smell is getting worse and worse. Worse and worse. Anyone associated with that aroma is being less and less tolerated. It's always been so in various countries, but now the West, and especially America, is seeing that Christian beliefs, Christian faith is now the enemy. We're troublemakers. We're causing the problems. Jesus, the Jesus of the Bible, is problematic. He stinks. We're homophobes, transphobes, bigots, heteronorms, narrow-minded, etc. We stink as the people of God if we smell like Jesus. I didn't say because we're jerks. I said because we smell like Jesus. But I got to ask you a question. I got to ask all of you. I got to ask everybody a question. I got to ask myself this question. Are we okay with smelling like Jesus to such an extent that we stink up the world? You okay with that? Remember, we were looking, we've been looking at this passage, and it's just amazing, really, in so many ways. When we talk about Christ's aroma, we're talking about his actions and actions in us. The aroma of Christ, his actions, his attitudes, his way. It's, it's the fruit of the Spirit. 
right? Galatians, this, this, is this, this is what the Spirit of God produces in those who repent of their sins and follow Jesus. The Spirit does the heavy lifting. The Spirit is the one who transforms. You don't transform you. The Spirit of God transforms you. He creates Christ in you, and you look like this. Galatians 5, 22 to 23. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, Kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. That's just Jesus, y'all. That's Jesus' characteristics. And that's not all he does. He also gives us courage and compassion, willingness to to self-sacrifice. He puts truthfulness in us. So that we are people who not only say we believe the truth, but we speak the truth. That's Jesus. Christ displayed in us, welling up in us by his work of spirit through the word of God, transformed, causing us to repent of our sins as he shows us our muck and mire. And we say, oh Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. And he begins to continue to work in us, molding us into his image. We bear the aroma of Christ like Mary's devotion at that ointment in her hair as she poured it out. She went around the house stinking up the joint. That's what happens to us as Jesus permeates our lives. And we ended last time examining, beginning to examine Judas and how, they, and how he and the other disciples we saw that was of, not just Judas, he was the spokesman, how they rejected Mary's gift. It was a waste of money. I, I always imagine, Mary, I said, I'm saying, Mary, yeah, that's a good point, Mary. Why didn't you take that and just give it to the poor? Because something more important was needed. Devotion to Jesus. And Judas rejects it because he's not a true disciple, but he was in the church. He was not devoted to Jesus. And so Mary's self-sacrificial display of love and faith in Jesus offended him. It stank. And it's, again, it's still true today. Religious people who are not devoted to Jesus are still offended. When, the, when some of us give all to follow Christ. Yet you are the very one who smells like Jesus and receive his smile. Listen, okay, now, how did Jesus respond to this? Here's, here we go. How did Jesus respond to Mary's devotion and Judas's displeasure? The beautiful aroma is what really glorifies Jesus. That's how he responds. He was glorified. Notice this in verses 7 and 8. He Leave her alone, so that she may keep it for the day of my burial. For the poor you always have with you, but you do not always have me. Jesus' response. Another one, our Lord rebukes those who discourage his sheep from beautiful, costly devotion. Leave her alone. Another way of translating that verse is, leave her alone. She intended to keep it for the day of my burial. Mary didn't know all the details. She seems to have had a sense, maybe, that Jesus was going to die. 
It was the work of God's Spirit in her that led her to this act of devotion. Because listen, sometimes the Spirit of God will have you do something that will have greater consequences later. But you don't know that at the moment. You're just being obedient. You're just following the leading of the Word and Spirit, and you don't know what's going to blow up later. Like, like when you start a school in 2020. <laughs> Brothers are here. I need to go. But God sees what's coming. You see, a Jewish person would normally, be, when they died, they'd be wrapped in all these spices and perfumes like what Mary used. Her nard was part of that. She felt his death was nigh and her gift was precious to Jesus. It was precious to him before he suffered. It comforted him. And he's telling them that my presence among you is more important than anything, even the poor. You can serve the poor anytime, he says, but you don't always have me in the flesh. Now, I said I would come back to that point. Okay, because you, we can get crazy with that statement. I don't want anybody to get crazy. I'm already crazy enough. Jesus is, God is the priority. Love the, the greatest commandment is what? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, right? The second is love your neighbor as yourself. There are not two co-great commandments. There's one great commandment, God loving him, but when you love God, because remember, you don't love, we love him because he first loved us. When you are saturated by the love of God in Christ, when you are overwhelmed by the fact that you, you being a sinner have been given royal privilege, when you being a sinner have been welcomed into the house of the Lord, when you being a lame, beat up, broke down human being that you are, have been welcomed and, and will be glorified in the presence of God. When you are let that wash over you, you find yourself loving God for it. I think we don't love God because we don't realize just where we are. But the second thing should happen. When you love God truly, when his love is living in you, what naturally happens and this is where I think we, sometimes we don't really know what love the love God means. The natural thing is the second greatest commandment. That you love your neighbor. That you love your neighbor. You, lo you, you love, yes, the poor. You see, don't, see, sometimes I think we've done this. We've talked about loving God and, and being doctrinally pure. And yet, we've, and we've turned that almost against what it means to love the poor. That shouldn't be. Or the care for the poor. Or, or those less fortunate. Or just your neighbor. The person who lives next door to you or across the street from you that you never speak to. Someone just convicted me recently and how busy I can be and don't have time to talk to my neighbors. I don't have time to care. People I don't knock on their door. I haven't seen one neighbor in some time now. I knocked on his door last week and he, he didn't come to the door, but I hadn't seen him for weeks. He's an older man and I didn't, 
I didn't really care. I, I, I was busy, see? I was running around going to play preaching the gospel in other countries and, and coming to DR and, 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 and being at New City. And, I mean, these are all important things and traveling a little bit. But listen, my neighbor, across the street, an older man, I haven't seen him. He could be dead. Someone convicted me of that recently. The Lord used that person. The Lord isn't telling us not to care about the poor because we care about him. He's just making a sure understanding that he's first. But we should, but we, but then we, but we should love and care about the poor. He's assuming we will. He's a, it's an assumption in this statement. The poor you will always have with you. He's assuming that they're going to care about the poor. And that's what the apostles told Paul when Paul, when Paul went to, went to get, be, be examined by the presbytery of the apostles. He, he showed up and, and the, the apostles examined what Paul had been teaching. When he and Barnabas had been going around the country, the world, that area, preaching. It's in Galatians, in Galatians 1 and 2. They're examining Paul. And Paul says, they were happy with everything I said. They only said one thing. They said one thing, remember the poor. That's the, he said, that's the last thing they said to him. It was so important that they made sure Paul got it. Don't you miss this, Paul. Remember the poor. And Paul said, I'm just going to do that anyway. What do you mean? <laughs> what? I'm Paul. <laughs> no, sorry. He didn't do that. He didn't do that. That's Kevin Smith. Remember the poor. That's why we partner with Chattanooga Christian School as a church, to have the Glenwood School here. It's a school that's designed first and foremost to allow children who cannot afford a Christian education to have one, to have a Christian, to have a foundational Christian education. Reading, writing, arithmetic. Get down, but in a Christian play, format so that they are beholding the glory of Jesus in that education. And they can go anywhere after that, any middle school they want to, any high school, but the foundation is being laid. That's why we do that here at New City. It's not possible for the poor to rise out of poverty without education. That's why we still, that's why we tutor. That's why we tutor kids from the public school. We're not against the public school. We appreciate and love the, everybody can't come to the Glenwood school. We're not even trying to do that. That's not the problem. So we still committed to the public school and we continue to teach and tutor there by Paul Green and others involved in doing that. Amen. So we continue to have people and people come to our church office and they need help. We do what we can to help them to pay their bills. But more than that, we want to give them Jesus. When you prioritize Jesus rightly, our hearts will be moved toward others in need and especially the poor. You can't love God. And we've done that in this nation. All of our right theology, and I believe, you know I believe in right doctrine. It reveals God. It reveals his ways. If you get that wrong, you don't know anything. It reveals Jesus. Right doctrine reveals Jesus. Because when you, when you say Jesus is Lord, that's doctrine. You can't get anything right. With, but listen, that doctrine should move us to, to love. 
1 John 4, 20, if anyone says I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. If you look at your neighbor and say, I got no time for you and I know you're hurting, where's the, there's no love of God in you. Where's the love of God? If you look at your brother in this, in, in this church, no matter what race or color they may happen to be, and you look at them and you say, you're not my people. You're not my, I can't, I can't reach out to you oh, cause, cause, because you're not like me. Then where is the love of God in you? I think so much of the church, I think we just, like you said, Brother Tolliver, Elder Tolliver, we've gotten what it means to love God wrong. So we don't love our neighbor. We don't love the poor like we could and should. I'm just, I'm just wondering. I'm letting you in, wondering out loud. Jesus was rich and be paying poor that he might make the poor rich in God. Yeah, if his spirit lives in us, we won't say we're prioritizing Jesus so we can't help the poor. We won't say that. Our heart will be moved for the plight of the poor and those who are in need. And by God's kindness, we might lead them to the true riches found only in Jesus. Because listen, brothers and sisters, we can do, I mean, we, we should be involved in different ways and whatever way God has gifted you and given you. But, yeah, but what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and lose his soul? We can never forget the gospel. It's the most important gift that we have to give. Jesus is the great gift. Now, all that we do to help other people, if we don't point them to Jesus, we failed. Mary's gift to Jesus was heartwarming, self-sacrificial, loving, it spoke of her devotion to him. Her possessions were a means of exalting him who she knew would give all for her. And Jesus says, well done. Judas couldn't stand it, but Jesus says, well done. Let me ask you another personal question. How do you view your possessions? Are they to be hoarded and guarded? Or is everything you have at the Lord's disposal? Is your house at the Lord's disposal? Is where you live at the Lord's disposal? 300 denarii, that's, 300, that's almost a year's wage. I've mentioned this several times now, so I was going to keep that in front of you. Her gift was extremely expensive. Extremely. By their standards and today's standards, she gave it to Jesus. You see, when you realize that Jesus gives you everything by dying and rising, you have more of the gospel than she did. She didn't understand the gospel. She didn't know. You and I know. We know what he's going to do and why he's going to do it. We know. We, we, we can yell at Mary. Mary, we understand, baby girl. We're with you. We know more than you do, Mary. But oh, how I cling to my stuff. I hold on to my stuff. But 
when I wake up, when, I'm, when, I'm, when I have my moments of sanity, the Spirit of God breaks through, I realize this stuff is nothing compared to what Jesus has given me. This stuff is nothing compared to who he is for me and for all who believe. He is the gospel's ultimate and greatest gift. And when I realize that he's the gospel's ultimate and greatest gift, this world's treasures gets in its proper place. And I can hold it loosely. See, you're going to value something. You're going to value something ultimately. And then when you, whatever you value ultimately, you will cling to it. You will hold tight to it. And if anybody touches it, you will go after them with everything you got. If that thing is not Jesus, it's an idol. And idols destroy you. Idols hurt you. And if the, if the idol is people, you might crush them trying to hold on to them. Is Jesus your great treasure here? Rick Phillips, what a blessing it is, he says, when our awareness of the priceless love of Christ has set us free from our need to possess people and things. If we have Jesus, we have everything that we could ever really want or need. But sometimes we have to let go of other things we love to recognize the preciousness of Jesus. When Mary gave that ointment and Judas blew up, she was letting go something so she could have something better. By the way, just so you know, according to Matthew 26, it was after this event that Judas decided that Jesus was not the Messiah he wanted. He went to the chief priests to agree to betray him for money after this moment. That brings me to my next point, and I'm going to move quickly. The beautiful aroma is a dangerous odor to those who don't believe in Jesus. Dangerous odor. You, know, you may not remember how chapter 11 ended. I didn't preach on that because I was saving it for this passage. Chapter 11 beginning in verse 45 to the end. I can't read it all for sake of time. But there you see the smell of death. You see, the Sanhedrin got together. The Jewish leaders got together. They were sick of Jesus. He got to go. All this raising people from the dead stuff ain't cool. Making us look bad. So, they just, so in verse 47 and 48, the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered the council and said, what are we to do? This man performs many signs. If we let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him, and the Romans will come and take away both our place and our nation. Do you, do you, I, I, I'm almost speechless. That blows my mind. He just raised a man from the dead, and they say this is dangerous. <laughs> Because it is. Jesus scares them. He knew by raising Lazarus from the dead, he set into motion that final week. We're in the final, we're into the final week of Jesus' life, earthly life. He knew that this would be the click. This would be the boom. 
raising Lazarus knew it would point to something better coming, his resurrection. He knew his time was short. He knew that right now they would come for him. And there they are planning and plotting his death. They were concerned, verse 48 shows, that if people continued to follow Jesus, there would be an uprising against Rome. They were afraid that the people would revolt, that the people would say, we're done. Let's, we, here's our Messiah. Let's go. Be free. We're going to free ourselves from Roman tyranny. And then the Romans will come and take away both our place and our nation. Did you catch that? Both our place and our nation. Their place means their positions of authority. Jesus had to go because he would get in the way of their ambition and power. Jesus is always in the way of ungodly ambition and power. He's always in the way. He had to go because he would stand, he, he would keep them from achieving their goals, their career goals, and their comfort goals. He would keep them from being in place of power. Is Jesus against power? He is power. He's, he's against ungodly wielding of power and position. He stank to them because he didn't get excited about the rich and the powerful and the, and the popular like us. He could not be bought. He raised up the poor. He stood against those who would oppress others. You see, comfort and wealth were not his motivation. It was the kingdom and glory of God. And we face the same temptations. But don't look at them, those Pharisees, and think that you're not like them. We still face those temptations. How many Christians have compromised their faith in Jesus in order to be more comfortable or to get a promotion or to be like? More and more, we're pursuing, I feel like the churches are pursuing to be liked. Are you being tempted right now to pursue to be liked and to be popular and to, and to, and to be welcomed? You should not go out of your way to make people hate you. That is not Christian, by the way. <laughs> but when you pursue people to like you, when you make them the standard for your self-esteem, when you make, you know, you know, we're, I'm just, oh, help me, Lord. Jesus is Lord of life, but following him may look like death at times, but it's still life. When you refuse Jesus, you traffic in death, no matter what temporary benefits you might receive. The high priest, if you read the passage when you get a chance, the high priest actually makes a true prophecy. He tells them, listen, guys, it's to our benefit that one man died for the nation. He had no idea what he was talking about. He meant, listen, we may have to kill this guy and to keep the nation from getting in trouble. That's what he meant. But, he, but the John says he was prophesying but didn't know it because Jesus would die for the sins of his people. He would die for the nation, but he didn't understand what he was saying. The, the Lord of the Spirit of God will use the enemy of the gospel to sometimes speak truth. Yeah. Twisted truth, but truth. <laughs> oh, <yeah. laughs> 
You see, getting rid of Jesus looks like a good idea. Because you don't have to give an account to anyone anymore. If I get rid of Jesus, I get rid of God. I don't have to give an account. I can do what I want. Cornell, I can do what I want, all I want, because it's all about me. It's all about me. I, see, get rid of God, there's no more accountability. I can, I can, I can, I can identify myself any way I want because it's all about me. I can do anything I want to you if you get in my way because really, it's all about me. And I believe, I believe in evolution. Survival of the fittest. If I'm more fit than you, bye-bye. Bye-bye. Get out of my way, here I come. People say I feel free when I don't have the fear of God or I'm worried about God or Jesus, all that kind of Christian stuff. And you're not free. No one is free until they find freedom in Christ. Amen. Until you find faith in Jesus and letting him cleanse you and love you and <laughs> and, say, and apply his oil of love to you. you you're not free. You, you're in bondage to you and other people. Jesus is also dangerous to religion, to self-serving preservation of power and comfort. He's dangerous to ourself, our service to human kingdoms over the kingdom of God. He's dangerous to idols that are only God's substitutes with no voice and no, no power to help or protect you. Jesus is the enemy of the great equalizer, death. And when you reject Jesus, you choose death. Family, I want to wrap this up. Give me five minutes. The beautiful aroma is a smell of resistance also to the forces of darkness. Resistance. So, so the beautiful aroma is offensive. You know, people going to get rid of it and kill it. Because the reason is because it's resistance. Do you understand what's happening here in chapter 12? They're having a party. They're celebrating Jesus. Yet the let chapter 11 end it with these words. Now the chief priests and the Pharisees had given orders that if anyone knew where Jesus was, where he was, he should let them know so that they might arrest him. And they threw a party, a public party. They didn't care. The forces, the powers that be had said, if you know where he is, you got to tell us and we'll take care of him. And they said, forget you. We're celebrating Jesus. Civil disobedience. <laughs> they didn't care. They weren't afraid of the powers that be. They weren't afraid of what might, they might do to them. Passion, the aroma of Christ always stands against evil. It stands against corruption and injustice. But it does these things in the name of Jesus and for his glory, not because it's trendy, not because it's, it's a vague sense of rightness, but, but for Jesus. In Jesus' name, we stand against injustice. In Jesus' name, we speak out against 
police brutality or people or people criminal criminal activity of people. In Jesus' name, we 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 call on the powers that be to help us care for the poor. In Jesus' name. Not because we're a bunch of do-gooders, not because we have a vague sense of doing the right thing. I think that's we I really feel good when I do nice things. Okay, that's great. Glad you're doing the right thing, but that's not us. It's for the glory of Jesus. It's for the majesty in the name of Jesus. And we're not afraid to name him. We're not afraid to identify, to self-identify with Jesus. We're not afraid to say, listen, when, when sometimes I, I remember being asked to pray at different places every so often um, that were maybe governmental, civic, whatever. And my question is, you know I'm a Christian. I'm going to pray in the name of Jesus. You okay with that? Otherwise, I ain't going. I don't need you. I don't need the glory of the world. I don't need to be loved by the world. I'm loved by Christ and his true church. <laughs> I, I got a family. <laughs> I got a savior. Listen, these people weren't afraid of what they might do to them. Even though, listen, if you smell like Jesus in your actions and attitudes, meaning Jesus has made a huge difference in your life, you will become dangerous too. And that's why they wanted to put Lazarus to death. Lazarus didn't do nothing. He did nothing, y'all. And they're going to kill Lazarus because on account of his transformed life, he was leading people to Jesus. Saints, don't you see it? Lazarus wasn't, he wasn't dangerous because of what he did. He was dangerous because of what Jesus did to him. That's what makes you and I dangerous. It's what Jesus has done to us as he's transforming us, showing that this, that, the, that this life is not all there is, showing that the worldly possessions of this world are not the true riches in the universe. When he be, come on somebody. Thank you, brother. I see you. When we recognize that there's truth because of Jesus, he is the truth. When we, when we, oh, come on somebody. When we, when we recognize that peace doesn't come from a bottle or from a pill, but it comes from the Prince of Peace. When we want to stand up and say, listen, 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 we have something that cannot be taken away from us. We have eternal life in Jesus, and we're not afraid of what you might do to us. We, 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 are, we become dangerous. We are very dangerous. When we recognize that there's a stronger power than the state, we don't bow down to the state, to the Republicans or to the Democrats in this country. We don't bow down to them. We don't even fit in their groups. We may vote that way, but we don't fit because we serve a greater kingdom. We serve a greater king. And when we get in those groups, they get nervous. They, here's the problem. They're not nervous because we fit, because we sold out. Our passion is not for Christ. It's, it's for America. I love my country. But I love the kingdom of God a whole heap of a lot more. Amen. 
Do you understand when you live like that? You're dangerous. And the forces of darkness are going to come for you. But fear not, little flock. It is the Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Fear not. Fear not. Let your love for Jesus be overt. Stink up the joint. Let your love for Christ be, just let it be real in you. Don't hold back. Don't try to mask him. Remember last week? Don't try to mask his aroma with other smells. Don't try to wear some kind of <laughs> chameleon cologne so people can't smell you because you want to be like everybody else and accepted like everybody else. And no, saints, then you have nothing to offer if you're like everybody else. They want hope. Will you point them to Christ? Will you let Jesus well up in you? His love overshadow you, overflow. Will you let him show in you the lo his love, his compassion, his, his truth, his holiness? Will you let him loosen you as you walk with him and day by day are blown away by his grace to you? That's what changes us every day. Why would he, why would he, why would he take me? Why would he save me? And why? Don't mask the aroma of Christ. Stink up the joint. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. The Lord is with you. Father, thank you for your love and faithfulness. And Lord, forgive us for how we do try to hide your aroma. We do it, we do. Help us, Lord. We all do it at some point or another. We just get scared because we think the world is greater than you. We think, but we have nothing to fear. May the aroma of Christ be more and more upon this church and upon the people of this church. In every true church in this city, may we stink up Chattanooga with the aroma of Jesus. And may, Lord, may, may, may you use us to make difference in our communities, in our families, in our communities, in our workplaces, in our schools, throughout this city. May, may the love and compassion of Jesus be seen in us. May his holiness be seen in us. May his truth be seen in us. In his name we pray. Amen. Please stand for our closing song.